Welcome to The Scoop. My name is Michael Jardine and today I'm interviewing uh, Gif Satani Frank, a uh, candidate running for postgraduate, uh, postgraduate officer here at Queen's Student Union. Uh, Gift is running on a platform of greater student union engagement for postgraduate students, more employment opportunities for, uh, for international students, greater engagement with the Athena Swan champions to increase academic achievement of female students, and better facilities for postgraduate students at the university. Uh, Gift, thanks for coming in today and having a chat with us. Um, no problem at all. Um, start by telling us a wee bit more about yourself. So my name is Gif, like I said before, and um, I'm from Nigeria. came to Queen's in 2016 to do my PhD, which is on gender stereotyping of pregnant school girls in sub-Saharan Africa, basically that's my focus. I'm married, I have three children and um, aged between 12 and 8, so <laughs> that's me on my family side, but I've been in Queens and got involved with the Students' Union last year, last, last year, this academic year, yeah, <laughs> when I ran for the Women's Students' Officer part time, and then I've just my interest has just grown and developed over the period. But I must say that since I came to Queens, I've been passionate about some of the things I've put on my manifesto. Um, tell us a bit more about why you think you'd make uh, a great postgraduate officer uh, for the Students' Union. Well, you may be aware that this is going to be like the second time it's come up because Rachel, who is the current one, is the first of its kind. So, And um, I've worked closely with her throughout her time in office and I know that there are some things considering the challenges she deals with and haven't been around her close enough, I realized that perhaps somebody who is at the PhD level of study will be more suitable even for the role. And then having worked closely with her, I thought this is something I think I can do as well because, you know, I've been around, I've, I've been very much engaged with the graduate school as well, done lots of things, you know, for and with the graduate school. So I thought it's really home to me and it would be natural to just so you think someone with um, experience as a postgraduate kind of fits that role of, of representing those like 9,000 postgraduate students? Definitely, otherwise there'll be no need <laughs> to have a representative on that level. That's fair. Um, yeah, let's, that's, that's fantastic. Let's move on to talk about your, your manifesto policies and your commitments. Um, you talk about uh, greater engagement with, stu- with postgraduate students um, throughout the university. Um, what do you think the student union hasn't done enough to date so far? What do you think you can do to improve that engagement with stu- uh, postgraduate students? You know, I think for for now, what what has happened is having the student union come by way of having a representative come to the graduate school is helping to even create visibility of you know that the student union is for the postgrads as well as you know that sort of thing. So for now, I hope that I can build on that visibility as something that is for all students. Because I think last month I wrote a blog about the fact that once you're a Queen student, you are you're automatically eligible for anything that has to be for Queen students. So that is the first like entry point to the fact that I think it's, it wasn't visible enough for postgrads because we have a separate building and everything just happens there. But now with this rule, there's more visibility and so people come to speak to you 
you must know that being student union is not about the building, it's about the people. Mm -hmm. So even that engagement is a step in increasing the fact that yeah, postgrads are now engaging more with with the student union. And you know, there is that feedback process. So we hear about the postgrads in the union and then we can also see postgrads coming to the union by way of their rep and also just expressing whatever it is. So I think building on that and also going further beyond where it's currently is, is something that I'm keen to develop. Yeah. Uh, speaking to postgrads um, around you, 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 you yourself as a postgraduate um, research student, um, have you spoken to students that have had maybe a negative or not so much a positive uh, experience with the student union? Well, it surprises me that there are some, especially now, you know, I think I've become more aware, having put myself forward, that not many people know that. It's almost like, what, how, why, why would you run in the student union yeah. in the first place? So, to me, it's not even, it's even getting in the door mm -hmm. in the first place before we even talk about what experiences are they having, yeah. you know. So I think it's very minimal. And if it exists, people are not coming forward because there's not many of us around to even sort of bounce off what you think about anything. Do you think, do you think students sometimes feel, especially postgraduate students, feel the SU is set up more for undergraduate students or it's not necessarily specifically catering towards postgrads? Well, um, like I said before, I'm one that believes that whatever is on offer in Queens as a Queen student, you should be able to access that. And that's what I'm keen to promote, that it's not about what... Um, sometimes the knowledge of what is on offer is really limiting because of even the avenues to which the word is sent out. But I think recently... When with the current officer sending emails out to to students like this is what is going on, there's been increased awareness of the fact that yes, we are part of this. So otherwise, I would have said the knowledge was very minimal to be, in terms of to what extent can we be involved, you know, in this today. Yeah, um, we'll move on towards your uh, your uh, your second uh, manifesto point. Um, you talk about working to provide better employment opportunities for international students. Um, why do you think um, this is needed specifically in Belfast? And, and how do you think this would be provided? What, what way in which you think you would go about providing yeah. better employment opportunities? Yeah. From my personal experience as an international student, I find that I think it has not come to be something that maybe... Queen's as an institution or maybe the international student support have done a bit but not enough because if you go to my futures there is a there is a link there saying my my circuits I think and it's it's so that international students can log on and see job opportunities that employers are able to take on tier four student graduates, mm -hmm. right? And when I went there I found out that there's no company there from Belfast. Yeah. So immediately I'm thinking, you know, Queens can do more to make sure that at least they're partnering with employers to ensure companies are getting this license to sponsor. And so there has to be some engagement with the employers locally as well. Tell us a little bit more about Tier 4. What do you mean by Tier 4? So talking about Tier 4, Tier 4 is, tier four is, the, 
is the type of visa they give to international students to study at, um, at this level of study, you know. So if you go for, if you're an international student, you get a tier four visa. That's what it's called to, to be able to school in the UK, wherever in the UK. So that's what I mean by tier four visa. There are other routes to which people can come to the UK, but once you're on a student visa, it's called a tier four. So have you found that there's no there's no companies willing to take on tier four students really within Belfast? So what I want to say here is that I've not been to every company, but when, yeah. I've, when I've been to fairs and um, I've talked about the fact that I'm an international student, and not just me, I've heard from my friends and colleagues and even in council people have talked about this, that there is no... Employers on the face of it, when they're in the fair, they say, yeah, we employ international students and all of that. But the truth is, when it comes down to recruitment, when you have to go through the recruitment process, you immediately begin to see roadblocks. So first of all, the first question you get to be asked is, do you have permission or um, a status to work in the UK? But our tier 4 visa says you're only allowed 20 hours. So what this means is, is an employer willing to take someone who will only give them 20 hours for the week? And are they willing to sacrifice the time they need for to, to support that 20 hours? That is something that I think I want to highlight in the fact that when students need like employment placement, even just not the long term, you know how they do the short term and all of that that they're taking into consideration the fact that it's 20 hours. I've heard people say, oh, they're offering 25, they're offering 30 hours, and because of mine is limited to 20 hours, I automatically am off the list. So that is a big challenge. So what do you think can be done about that? Do you think it's more a case of providing um, better clarity around uh, or provisions for international students, or do you think it's about... Um, uh, more changing the way companies uh, engage with postgraduate students? To be honest, you know, even Queen's is an employer of labour. So we're not just talking about outside of Queen's, we're also talking about within Queen's, you know. And yeah, the jobs that they offer in Queen's is really ideal because they, I think, understand to a greater extent what the lim limitations of work are for international students. However, point is it's relevant work we're talking about not just and although yes we can talk about work as any work is work experience but you and I know that if you're going to pursue a career you want to get in early enough to gain the experience you need for going further so that's where you know Queens cannot provide all the the relevant work that all the students at an international level need so I think what can be done is the partnership bit Queens needs to create some sort of partnership, just the way, like in the School of Law, there's partnership with some law 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 firms that come in all the time looking for students to do stuff with them. So I think there needs to be some sort of partnership that informs employers about the need to have these sort of criteria when recruiting international students. It's very important. At the moment, I think what happens is even employers think they're coming to Queens to recruit students and don't know that the student status differs. There's home student, there's EU student, there's international student. And so there's so many people competing for these positions. How can we 
support international students to be able to get similar placements as their home counterparts. There needs to be some conversation around this and partnership to ensure that these employers are aware and are creating these opportunities at the same time when sending out the adverts for everybody to apply. That's perfect. Um, let's move on to talk about um, your, your third point um, around uh, providing more training for supervisors to help um, postgraduates get the most from their experience at Queen's. Um, you talked about setting up workshops to provide more information and uh, better support for um, postgrads who are seeking um, help from supervisors um, when completing their dissertations or parts of their um, doc doctoral research. Um, what kind of things would you um, would you uh, be looking at uh, including in those training workshops? So, for example, you know, I know I haven't been able to teach for at um, at the tutorial level for some personal reason. But if you are a PhD supervisor, you seem to be sort of at the higher end of things because the master students are quite a lot. Or if you're a PhD, for PhDs, they're not allowed to take. They they have a limitation as to how many students they can. Find supervised to the work is pretty much cut out however I think such workshops as even those that are run in the graduate school should include both supervisors type training having gotten feedback from the the, 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 the postgrads themselves about the type of challenges and I'll be honest with you if you're an international student, for example, because I always come from the place of where I'm coming from, right? There's always a cultural difference when you come into a different environment. I think people need to know, especially the, those who you know, supervise, they need to understand the type of student they are supervising. Because otherwise, even international students will not get the best out of the supervision experience. And that is what I find. So sometimes, even in terms of communication, those kind of things, like effectively communicating with your supervisor, there has to be some form of training on how to deal with students, even through communication, understanding the background and the places where all the students are coming from. It's very important, and I think it's something that should be tailored for different groups of students. And those are the things I want to address. Do you, you mentioned um, there's a cultural barrier. Um, yeah. uh, do you think there's a, in Belfast and Queens specifically, there, there's a bit more of a, there's an issue with um, integrating a cultural, uh, people from different cultures, and there's a greater barrier? I mean, you said you studied in, in England, though. Did you find, specifically in Northern Ireland, that that cultural barrier is harder to sort of break down than it is in places like England? Okay, so, first of all, just to be clear, I've enjoyed being here. I mean, like, the are great and everything but specifically as, within education yes, um, within education you, you 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 would expect that you know people will you know do their job as professionally as they can but talking from the point of view of the students you find out that students especially if you come from outside of Belfast don't really know how to engage with their supervisors in a way that helps them to get the best out of the supervision relationship. And I think it's a communication issue. And that's what I want to focus on, that the training, because in terms of expertise, we're not going to challenge them on their expertise. They've got the expertise, but I think effective communication is key to getting the best. And 
to be able to empower both the students and the supervisors to know exactly how to communicate with their supervisors will make a huge difference in their whole experience. Just make a massive difference in terms yes. of being able to uh, making those courses more and more accessible. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, let's move on to another point um, you brought up in your manifesto, um, providing better uh, better studying facilities and better educational facilities for uh, postgraduate students. Um, you mentioned specifically having um, 24 facilities in, in the library and in the postgraduate, um, in the postgraduate uh, centre. Um, why do you think those are, those are really important facilities to have for postgraduate students? Very, very important. You know, if you're like me that has a family, my time of studying differs from maybe, I'm just saying, from another person who may not have the dependence of people to take care of. So you find out that our work patterns as postgrads differs because we're not really having lectures like the undergrads. So there's time we want to study and there's time we're doing other things. However, if a student who has maybe during the day has cared for, done maybe just every other thing, and at night wants to study, most of the facilities have been shut down. And perhaps home is not the best place you want to study because the next thing you might find yourself sleeping or just getting distracted or whatever. So on that basis, I'm arguing for the fact that there should be spaces that are 24-hour access. Because, and then when we talk about work-life balance, we're talking about helping people to choose effectively how to manage their time and do what they need to do and still have a life. And some people, that life could mean studying at night and just being jolly with family at daytime. So it's important that we have a 24-hour space for people to go to and say, yeah, I can do this at night and do something else in the morning, you know, and not necessarily, it could even be work, getting a job, at least they can say, okay, maybe if I work a few hours in the day, I still go to access school facilities at the night time to study. So it's just having something that's flexible and accessible for everyone, really. And it may not be for everyone, but I know it's definitely for some. Do you think postgraduates specifically need a specific area um, for their study that's maybe separate to, I know the Maclay runs 24-hour um, study periods over uh, exam time yes. and during a, in the run-up to assessment deadlines. Do you think um, postgraduates need a specific and almost bespoke area that's open 24 hours for them? You know, like the grad school, do you think it's... I'm hoping that the grad school, you know, will come on board this because that is already a dedicated facility for the postgrads. So... I think at the moment they open up till 11 o'clock, but they can do more by having it accessible, you know. And it's easy to even monitor and have security in the grad school than maybe the Macaulay because it's like for the general school, you know. So I think the, the, the graduate school would be a more ideal space, even though I think it's not that big enough, but it will do for now, you know, to create that dedicated space for postgrads. However, I'm aware that not everybody's cause of study is about the same. So I know that for sciences, being in the graduate school will not work. They have to be in their labs or perhaps do a separate type of work. So it's not a one-size-fits-all, but there must be dedicated spaces that is catering for the different um, different type of work that postgrads are undertaking. Absolutely. And do you think that, you mentioned you know how to facilitate that. Do you think there, there would be... Um, do you think cost would come into that? Do you think cost about increasing um, the length of opening times, about um, 
staff there on a 24-hour basis or security would come into play? Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts around that? I think at the moment, um, there, there's definitely for every change, there's some, there has to be some cost, either monetary cost, time cost, or however cost is defined. But there will definitely be some extra, perhaps, cost to... If it were the Macley, because I've asked this question at the Macley Library before, and they talk about staffing and all of that is very expensive, even in the days leading to exam and all of that. However, you also have to consider that the students are also the customer here. They are the ones who make it happen. I mean, without the students, there is no need for the institution. So it has to be on both sides, thinking about not just the, the cost to the university, but how is this going to impact even students' performance, well-being, and all the things that make students want to come to Queen's? That has to be brought into consideration. Do you think those costs should be shared between the student union and the university, or do you think the university should take on those those costs? Well, in terms of shared costs, I don't know if students want to be the one bearing the costs. Because when you say costs, what do you mean? Is it that students' fees should be increased, or then we can talk about, I think every year they increase fees anyway, so if it's something that going forward they want to say, okay, this is cost allocated to times for this, then it can be something that can be talked about, but I don't think students want to have any more costs because on whatever cost no. they're already there. Absolutely not, no. Um, it will kind of move on to our sort of final question. Um, uh, Gift, let's uh, let's let's. I want to kind of talk about the fact that we we I think we have three positions within the student union full time officers that are are uh, they're being run with one single candidate with no one opposing them. Um, what's your kind of thoughts about that? Uh, we kind of we, we want to know kind of what you sort of think about um, why that is, why that's come around, because the union have talked about um, the increased levels of, of uh, engagement with students. Uh, across all areas, from from undergraduate up towards um, doctoral research, um, why do you think there aren't as, as many students coming forward running for certain positions? You know, last year we had, you know, in some positions like six people running for specific officer roles. Now, in three positions, we've only got one person. Um, what do you think are the factors that sort of led to that? As someone who is in that sort of position where I'm the only one apart from Haran, you yeah. know, I would be honest. I I felt a bit disappointed, like, because as a current women officer, I know I've written a blog about how people should run for something. I've been on different panels talking about why people should put themselves forward. And, you know, I was only also just being true to myself to say, you know what, you have to be true and put yourself forward. So it was disappointing for me to think I worked so hard for people to kind of be out there, put themselves forward. Did I not do enough? So that was my guilty trip, like, you know. However, I think this year the student union officers have done a very good job in just everything they said they were going to do, including even some of the part-time officers, you know. And I think the people who would have maybe been interested in putting themselves forward may have thought they're doing a great job. The people, you know, they're doing a great job and... I think there's room for them to just have some continuity. And also, what I saw was engagement with the current officers, with some of the students, because if you if you look at those who are coming back or who are on the 
people that say all pools are running without any contestants is the fact that some of them have come close to understanding more of the issues and felt they would put themselves forward. And those who may have been potential contenders may have been, you know, put up by the fact that they were the better candidate to put themselves forward. So I think that may have explained why. Is there anything you think the student union could do better next time to increase um, people, uh, students' participation and engagement? I mean, and ultimately, the student union full-time officers, rep, you know, have quite a lot of, not necessarily power, but quite quite a lot of influence in terms of um, student union policy, and they have a lot of responsibility in terms of um, voicing the opinions of students. Uh, is there anything they, they, they could be doing better to increase students' engagement with with these rules in terms of wanting to run for these positions? You know, that's a very good question, and I think this is going to sound really big, but the student union officer positions should not be run like a cult. Sometimes I think it's run like a cult, and if you're not in that sort of space, you almost feel like you're never going to be able to fit into that role. But I think making it so for example if you look at the part-time roles so many people running and why is that why can't we have the same level of people who put themselves forward for the part-time positions be the same so first of all it's run as a call too there's cost involved so could there be something coming from even you know the student union maybe to reduce the cost of putting this all the candidate portfolio the filing all the things that come into it to be honest when I put myself forward and I saw all these things that I had to do, if you've not been in that space before, you're going to be put off. You're going to be like, what? You know, like, how do I do all these things within this time and, you know, be eligible? So I think they have to sort of rework even the way, they rec I would call it the recruiting for the full-time positions. I think it can be overhauled to just make it as very, you know, simple enough that everybody can even access what it means because if you're not knowledgeable enough to sort of want to commit it can be very put off the way the way I saw the whole the candidate pack and everything but you have to I think it's also a test are you willing and ready to give it your all so it's actually a balance I can't say one is better than the other but I think it's a test as well I saw it as a test to say if you're going to commit to do this, this is the starting point to be able to get this material out and be committed to do everything that is written out there as the rules and all of that. So just generally, it's something we can talk about all day, really, but I would hope that maybe this year we can have, I mean, going forward, more uptake in the people who put themselves forward. Brilliant. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the end of my uh, my questions. I really want to thank you for coming along and chatting to us today at The Scoop um, and uh, wish you good luck in uh, in your election coming up. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on today. Okay, thank you. Pause. To find out more information about the QUB SU election coverage, please follow QR The Scoop on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for listening.